Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen, and I'm pleased to announce that she's back, fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email, spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, spullen at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hats on your face. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Midweek Update. I am your host, Kyle, and joining me Can in I'm the shop is eric from es invests thank you eric for that timely interjection uh, if you'd like to reach out with your suggestions corrections trade ideas or even just say hi you can do that via email at two bulls at financial or you can join that free discord server a bunch of amazing people gather to share our struggles and lessons learned with other like-minded market aficionados all right blow through the business stuff so we can talk about the stuff happening today because there's a lot um how you been, man? How was your day today? I got upset because as soon as you said blow through the business reviews, I thought you were going to say blow me and I got excited. But then... <laughs> Is that what that sound was hitting the desk? <laughs> it was. Yeah. And that's exactly it. No, it. Unfortunate. Uh, like the... Uh, never mind. I'm, I'm just going to move on. <laughs> Damn it. Um, how you been, man? How's... Uh, I remember the last time we talked, you were talking about your Apple... Uh, an Apple trade you've mentioned a couple different times. You still holding that? I am, but what I'm also holding is a new pickleball racket that I got. Cause now I'm going to be oh, a professional no. pickleball player. I think you're not getting into that too. Are you dude? I cannot tell you how sad and lame of a game it is and juxtaposed how unbelievably fun it is. So <laughs> me and a bunch of my Marine buddies, that are you know late 20s early 30s all in good shape we go to this court on the weekends and we just slay all of the 50 and 60 year old ladies out there with sun visors without any regret i mean we're slamming everything we can it's the greatest okay that sounds like fun dude so much fun i was in the military it was all about racquetball we played a lot of racquetball that's same i love racquetball and i still Yeah, I still would prefer racquetball. It's, I bet it's kind of like chess, where I bet you I could beat you. And then oh, yeah, I bet you'd smoke I would me. Just, yeah, because I, I really like racquetball. But <laughs> yeah, the I would definitely pick racquetball over pickleball, without a doubt. Because there's always like a risk of pretty serious injury in racquetball, man. Like I've gotten caught accidentally. It's typically an accident, but I got caught right in the eye. Oof, and, don't wear your and, eye protection? Uh, no, I don't do that. And uh, I wear them. I wear them on the back of my head because I've had that yeah, ball come perfect, around. Right, and... gotta protect those eyes. 
dude, it's like the people who wear a, a helmet and they unbuckle it on a bike. Oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> what do you? What's the point? What are we doing here? But yeah, when I got hit in the eye, it literally felt like my eyelid was like inside out. I kept asking my friend. I was like. I was like, is my eye in, like eyelid inside out? He's like, no, man, it's like normal. I was just like, you sure? I was like, it feels inside out. Oh, and he's man. like, no, man, you're good. I was like, I don't feel so great. But yeah, anyways, racquetball is nice because there's always a bit of danger. And then there's always a bit of contact. You know, like if you're steaming yeah, ahead yeah. of the ball and somebody's in the way, you could still check the shit out of somebody. Whereas not so much in, in pickleball, but still a big fan. There's also something super satisfying about hitting one of those like shots that dies in the corner and watching a guy try to change directions and snap an ankle. <laughs> I love that. I honestly think what I love the most is when somebody is attempting to like volley it higher and higher and you're just placing it in the far back corner mm. and they have to run back there and you just like you just know the only thing you're attempting to do back there is survive. Yeah, like you're yeah. just trying to survive and you can keep dropping it back there on somebody. That's kind of a terrifying feeling. I know it very well. One of my college professors during my undergrad used to ruthlessly hit me and my buddy with that. Very frustrating. Oh, yeah. Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. Or the yep. ones that I used to have a shot that could hug the wall really nicely. Yes. And those are so hard to hit. Yeah, for those, I, I actually do that on the serve pretty regularly. Yeah. And what what I like to do for those, I literally put the racket against the wall and I just slide it on the wall. Oh, smart. Yeah. All right. Well, enough racquetball talk. Let's talk about Apple, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're the one that highlighted the Apple foray into what? AI? They're, that yeah. they're working on some AI tools. But I mean... I was just looking at my trade and it's funny because this is probably my longest trade of the year. I've been in this for 70 days now. I entered on the 10th of May. What's your typical hold period? Vast majority, overwhelming majorities within 30 days this year. Like I would say if I cut this trade out, my average holding period is probably like 12 to 14 days. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, the Actually, Purdue is the one who shared this in our Discord. Um, Thanks, Purdue. I guess the project is codenamed Ajax, but basically they're just trying to make their own version of ChatGPT. They call it Apple GPT. Yep, got to do it. That's super smart. It's it's one of those things that even if you can't make it great or whatever, especially somebody like Apple, they have a lot of brand recognition. And mm -hmm. yeah, being a competitor in that space is essentially going to be an expectation. And it's you got to imagine they have something in the books, man. Like when you're working with something right. like Siri, right? Like. Not that that's AI, it's more a virtual assistant, but that's not a far cry from AI. No, they're I'm trying sure. to improve that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, and, and I'm sure that they've used that as some sort of launch pad to kind of forecast out AI possibilities. So my guess is they probably have some cool stuff cooked up ready. I'm actually surprised they haven't bought, just bought another AI company as big as they are. That's a great question. I don't know. It starts to get kind of confusing with like, the anti-competition clauses and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And I wonder what that's going to look like for AI specifically, but it's a good question. Hmm. So what's your plan but with yeah. the, uh, what is your trade on, uh, yeah. on uh, Apple? So I, don't, I don't remember. Right now I'm long the 17 Nov 130 calls. When I got them, they were like a 80 Delta. Now they're, I'm pretty sure they're a one Delta. Um, <laughs> let me, let me double check. So you bought. Uh, oh, they're, they're a 90. They're a 93 Delta. They've actually come down. The Delta's come down a little bit because of uh, time. So, mm, okay. yeah, 
but that for a while they were in like a 97 delta thought that they bounced up more but anyways yeah so i have those i got them for 47.45 and right now they're trading for 67 50 ish um yeah so on each contract it's a pretty meaningful at least at this point it's a pretty meaningful gain it's like 42 percent return on the long mm-hmm. and i'm also short the 28 july 190 call at 246 that was a 42 delta now that's a 67 delta we're slightly in the money but we still have about 75 cents of extrinsic value so they're trading for 615 that'll come down to you know 550 ish something like that Mm-hmm. And then I'll be able to roll those out probably two weeks, three weeks to the 195. I'll gain another $5 of upside basis as well as a small credit. So I'll continue to make money on the short call side of things, collecting some theta. And it's coming up on the management window though. Like I have right now, it's still, uh, how many days to expert? said so November. 121. Yeah. So I still have 121. So I, I got about 60 days left in this trade before I need to do something with it. Mm-hmm. So I will, I will probably continue to hang on to it as long as it's behaving properly, but I'm mostly using support and resistance and moving averages as my stop. I almost got stopped out actually on uh, these two days on the 10th and 11th when we had that little bit of a pullback mm. that was close to where i was going to be triggering that's using the 22 day since price had closed below the nine day fell below and it like touched the 22 day but with everything still positively sloping i kind of gave it the benefit of the doubt so but i continued to slide up my stop because it's it's made a shit ton of money so yeah um, yeah i protect that protect those gains that and the move has already been pretty incredible. If you yeah. think about like the move from entry when I got in, it was 173. So what is that? 173 to 198. So it's like a 15% move. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. Like two months. So yeah, it's o- overall pretty healthy move. Yeah. Well, I have a paper trade we can talk about. I did this. Uh... As part of my homework for the mini series that we've got coming up on options, which I don't know that we talked about that on here. I think I mentioned it I on the so. uh, the weekend show. But basically, yeah. you're you're teaching me and Penny Lane Blaine from the uh, Penny Lane podcast more about basically options, like helping us develop our plan and come up with some tradable ideas. So one of the one of the things because we've been talking a lot about IV on on this uh, midweek update lately. Mm-hmm. So I've been um, monitoring some stuff. I think we talked last week about some of the stocks I was watching, uh, but I took a trade on Tesla. I actually took two of them. Uh, uh, basically a short straddle going into the close today as an earnings play. And then I also did a strangle because I wanted to see how the two how the two performed. Like, does it? how does a straddle do? How does a strangle do? And then I'd use the 310 calls and the 280 puts on the, uh, the straddle legs. So the... Let's see the uh, 295 or 292 half strike. Um, I sold that straddle for $21.62, and the strangle was a $10.22 credit. And what led you to do straddle and strangle? Uh, it was just because I want to see the comparison of the two. 
Um, I picked the legs based off of Delta. Yeah, sorry. I guess I, what I was getting at there is like, what's your, what are you expecting to see? That would have been a better question. Uh, I just want to see if the strangle has less, less risk, maybe. Don't be risk averse. Like with the wider range that you're selling where for something to get into the money, like you need a much bigger move for it to, to really hurt you. What's the, how do you define risk in this case? Uh, basically just an event where, you know, the price goes well against you. Okay. So rather than trying to cap the upside or cap the downside, I was just curious if, yeah, I may be sacrificing some of the profit potential by going with the strangle route, but does it give me less risk in general is kind of what the idea was. I see. And what is, what's your hypothesis? If you had a guess on the, on the outcome, not knowing what it is yet, since it's on, what's, what's your guess? My guess is that the strangle is going to be more consistent. It's going to be less volatile. It's going to have less return potential, but it's also, I think it should have less risk too, because of that. But at least that's the thought. You mean a lower severity in terms of like max loss? Yeah, yeah, or yeah, yeah, less yeah, risk yeah, in terms exactly. of the performance of this? Got it. Okay. Got it. I mean, typically when you're when you're doing stuff to hedge, right, you're capping your upside. And I feel like that's probably what I'm doing here. I'm capping my upside to try to minimize the risk of a catastrophic event. Is it, you mean with a short strangle or with an iron fly? With the strangle. Strangle versus uh, just an at the money straddle. How, how are you capping risk in the strangle? I guess you're not. Uh, just. Yep, that's the correct answer. It should be less of it, though, because you have a further away point that it has to hit to be able to start going against you, right? Sort of. The, the, and that's why I was asking kind of the way you think about it, because to your point, true, in order for that short option to fall on the money, the underlying has to move further against you. Right. Conversely, close you, to you, a tent. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Conversely, with the straddle, you collect way more money. Yes. Yes. So while you will have a wider break even point for the straddle or for the strangle, if you still get essentially commensurate really big move against you, Mm -hmm. You will be slightly less impacted via the strangle, but not tremendously so. Interesting. And that's kind of what I'm starting to wonder the more I look about it and think about it. But I don't know. I like, uh, I like seeing things on paper. Yeah. See well, how the hypothesis the, comes out, you know? One of the other things that I think you should take a look at is um, capping the risk with far out of the money wings. And I thought about that, but uh, I think we talked about that quite a bit too, where I don't know that that is, I don't know that it's worth worrying about those one-off events when uh, ideally what I'd be doing is taking 20 or 30 of these things and the odds of all of those going against you is astronomically against, right? Yep. I agree with that. The way that I think about it is, um, for example, if we look at Tesla earnings now, right? So mm -hmm. Tesla closed at 20 21.26 had an expected move of about 20 points and it's down to 278. So we're still within tolerance. Yeah. Now let's say in your scenario, we sold the, the 292 and a halves. Mm -hmm. And what did you say you collected for those in total? Uh, $21.62. $21.62. So if we look at the risk profile of your trade, Essentially, if we get a massive move, and let's say we run up to 330, you have a $1,600 loss at expiration. And 
commensurately if we fall down let's say we go like 50 points down so like 220 or maybe 230 you would have like a $4,200 loss depending on, you know, where you see the the maximum risk of the trade. Mm -hmm. So one of the things you can do is you could say, okay, what do I think the probability is that we move to whatever number makes me uncomfortable? So if we go to like down to 140, the loss at that point is $13,000. Yeah. My guess is that wouldn't be super swell. No, that would not be fun. The probability <laughs> of hitting that is super, super low. Yeah. But what you can do is you could say, well, I still don't like the the possibility of us having that move. And we could do some study essentially on the proclivity of it to make that move. Or you could say, well, maybe I'm going to cap my risk to the downside at like 230, which is like 50 cents or whatever. And I'll cap my risk to the upside at also something that's super far out of the money. To okay, your point, so yeah, okay. To your point, it's not efficient and it's a drag on returns. And I actually think, in general, that's not the way that I would go personally. However, no, but at, for the price though of like a two thirty strike, I think uh, the put right now at close was like sixteen seventeen cents. Like for that bingo for that price, it seems like it's worth the protection. And that, that's exactly it. And the yeah. way that I assess it personally is for something like Tesla, I have no qualms adding wings because mm -hmm. Tesla moves. Tesla's, Tesla moves. Whereas if I'm trading something like GE, I'm typically not adding wings because GE on earnings tends to move very little. So even if you sell an at the money straddle, so for example, if we look at like the 28 July at the money straddle right now, you would collect $5 and 60 cents. And if you wanted to buy like a 10 Delta wing, you'd give up 60 cents. So you're giving up 10% of the trade just to buy wings on something that doesn't really move over time. Mm -hmm. That really starts to serve as drag. So it's, Kind of a bastardized approach to be honest to hedging because it's like it's like carrying a gun right people will say like if you're going to carry a gun you should always carry it because you never know when you're going to need it right that's the same idea with hedging yeah you never know when you're going to need it so to try to do this qualitative game that i do because i'm being cheap is dangerous but right i i always juxtapose that against the move potential to make an informed decision mm -hmm. no that makes a lot of sense uh, it's funny you mentioned GE because that's one of the other ones I'm tracking. Yep. Uh, I was curious though. I missed a date on my tracker. I was curious if there was a way to go back and look at uh, IV on a graph to where I can go yeah. back and try to figure out where that is. Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't know. Did I? I don't think I sent it to you. I use Thinkorswim, so I wrote a Think script. Oh, you that... did send me that. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because in you should be able to to plug that into Thinkorswim. It should go on the the study section of the. So it should be charts, charts like the you know primary tab, sub tab, yeah. and then in the top right there's studies. You go to studies, add new study. You go over, switch over to ThinkScript, drop that in there, and then you can toggle with the timeframes. But I like to use essentially one day, um, five day. 30 or one day, seven day, 30 day. So kind of like over, over the course of a week. Yeah. And then the last thing I think I wanted to talk about was actually the Microsoft. Cause that's what got me super excited was watching the, the uh, price of uh straddle that I quoted on July 12, just 
screaming up. And I think I think some of the news that they announced today might have been what was uh, kind of causing that that IV uh, run up because it kind of died yeah. off a little bit today. Well, realistically, there's actually a pretty massive spike in IV going from the 17th yeah. to the 18th, 17th. IV, we can use, let's use uh, 30 days. So 20, 21 day HV, which is 30 day IV. So that's 22 points. That really didn't move. That that longer duration HV, it went, yeah, 22 points to 24 points. But the shorter term IV skyrocketed. So for example, five day went from 10 to 22. And then mm-hmm. even more so two day went from 0.07 to 0.42. So the move definitely started on the 17th. It kept flying on the 18th. And then today it actually went up even a bit still from day over day, went up 15 points on HV for the short term. Yes, it did. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, because I rewrote my uh, trade management for the other paper trades that we'll discuss uh, on the next uh, options Mm -hmm. miniseries episode. But uh, I originally had written down like take profit and risk management, 25% loss. Then I close the position days to expiration gets less than one. Then I close the position and then 50% return or more than close the position as measured from one day to the next or as measured at the end of day, close it the next morning. Uh, after seeing Microsoft, I was going to go back and rechange or rejigger that to hundred percent, 50% thinking that, Oh shit, is this normal? <laughs> but looks like maybe that's not quite so normal. No, it's not. And you're definitely seeing like a pretty significant catalyst driven event, but it's not, I mean, it's not abnormal. Like if I look at the chart on periods where IV was surpassed by HV specifically for Microsoft, it's, it's semi-frequent. So if I look at even just the past 30 days, I see one, two, three, four, five. Yeah. I mean, a bunch of days over the uh, over the past three months, I see quite a few instances where it was surpassed. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's unlikely, but it's not it's not like supremely unlikely. Is it worthwhile using IV compared to historic volatility as an exit parameter or entry parameter? I I would want to use both. Like I think yep. yeah, because the thing is, is when we're trading straddles, we're delta neutral should be. So what yeah. we're trying to do is capture an expected spike in historic volatility relative to implied. Mm-hmm. So the relationship between those two is really where the trade thesis is. Interesting. And I think I remember Rich Friesen talking about that when he was kind of discussing like his strategies when he was trading in the pit back in the day, mm. looking at the when it's low versus when it's high and having different strategies to deploy in those different scenarios that's pretty common if you're if people are talking about iv or ivp itself whereas Mm -hmm. talking about the variance risk premium in this scenario is slightly different but yeah it's it's the same idea okay um anywhere else i can go to learn more about how to how to utilize that the variance risk premiums or trading trading options around earnings uh any of the above yeah so i'll throw a link and I just did a video recently on trading options with earnings, which covers variance risk premiums. And then I'll throw in a second video, which directly covers variance risk premiums, what they are and um, how to trade them. That's really what this stuff is that we're talking about. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Yep. 
Um, anything else to touch on before we wrap up? No, sir. All right. Well, that's going to take us to the end of today's episode. Thanks everybody who stuck around to the end. And thank you, Eric, for sharing insights as usual. If you'd like to know more about how he trades, make sure you check out his YouTube channel at ES Invests and check out those links in the episode description. Be back soon with another exciting episode. Until then, share this podcast with the world like a tech CEO talking about AI and take care. Two Bulls in a China Shop is an entertainment program, and all thoughts and opinions expressed in the show belong to the hosts and not of any company. They are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide entertainment about stocks and the financial industry of trading. If you make trades based on what you hear in this show, you assume all risks for those trades. Share this podcast with the world like a tech CEO talking about AI and take care. Mm, medium. Yeah, you got a better one? Well, I thought you were going to have a good one. <laughs> Shit. Uh... Oh. Share this like the priests share altar boys. Oh my God, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right.